Now we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love. Is love correcting everything that stands against love? It's funny how we use this word love. A lot of people have a lot of different ways of describing and expressing this idea of love. Uh, you know, people say, I love this, I love that, I love chocolate, I love my new socks, I love my new car, I love my grandkids, I love when they snuggle up to me, and I, I love when they run up and call me mama or daddy. You know, we, we, we describe this word love in all sorts of ways. Some people say, you know, I make love, or I, I love doing this, I love going to the mall, I love going skiing, I love horseback riding. Love is a very generic sort of a word in the English language, right? Uh, it expresses all sorts of different things at the same time. And we have to kind of figure out what it's saying, what its meaning is, right? And so we are gonna go out and ask some people how they experience love, how they feel love, what do they think about this idea of love? Let's check it out. What do you love? Family. Family. What else? I, I like my career. Okay, I also love work and my job. <laughs> I love peace. Ooh, I thought good. she was about to say pizza. I like pizza. <laughs> <laughs> pizza is pizza. I thought she was about to say pizza. It's almost the same thing. Friends, family. Uh, I don't know. Beautiful days. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, I love food. And um, it's a hard one. You know, like when you're in a when you're in a room, you know, and you're getting you know positive feedback, you know, a, a good support base, you know, is dealing with morals, uh, your principles, you know, your culture and your standards, you know. Ken, you are a bit of a philosopher, and I love it. My husband and my dogs. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Waking up around 5 a.m. in the morning in a new city when everybody's asleep, and just seeing the city by itself, traveling around. Oh, wow. So look, so look, so look, so look. You know, it gotta be a chemistry, so you gotta have a, you know, a, a mental connection, you know, spiritual connection, emotional, you know. Um, and then, you know, it, it gotta be a bond, so it, ta it takes time to, you know, experience love and for that love to grow. I feel loved, mainly when I talk to my mom, just because I know that I make her day, and she makes my day. I love my wife. There you go. <laughs> and how about, how about Slurpees? I love Slurpees, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. What do you love in life? Freedom. Freedom, that's good. Uh, running, reading, hanging out with my family. What else? I guess I could say God. Let's yeah. just say God. Yeah, well, we love God. You got that chemistry. It's real. It's genuine, it's authentic. Y'all got that emotional connection. You know, and that that vibration and energy, that positive flow, it's like the best experience, love that you will ever, you know, get on this earth. Hey, what do you love? Uh, family, traveling. You like traveling? Yeah. Okay, and what makes you feel like you have been loved? Somebody's like, 
during times of year like Christmas and birthdays yeah. and stuff. What makes me feel it? Yeah. Just being around them, being around good people and good energy. I feel love when I walk home, my puppy gets all excited to yeah. see me. How about that? That's great. No, that's great. When do you feel loved? When do you feel loved? When do I feel loved? Um, when I get like tinglys in my little tummy or anything like that. And like, what makes that happen for you? Food. <laughs> that's great. If you accept me for me, not me and the fillers, just me for me and all my vulnerabilities and all my craziness, you accept it. You know, but but this is important. This is important because this is what love is. You know, and we and we all and we all want to experience love. Love is the key. It's amazing, isn't it, how many different ways you can talk about this idea of love. I mean, it means a whole bunch of stuff to a whole bunch of different people. And the hearer of the word love has to somehow figure out how to interpret that, right? They have to figure out what the what the talker or the speaker is intending with their expression. But you know what's interesting is that in the Bible, it's not that way at all. I don't know if you realize this or not, but uh, in the Bible, it's written in the Greek language. We read it in the English, but it was originally written in Greek. And, and the Greek language is so much bigger than English. It's so much more flowerly, right? I mean, it's very descriptive. And they have all kinds of different words that we translate into love. Uh, we just say love, but there are different words that are used to describe love. So, for example, the first one would be like this, this word called philea. Uh, philea, we get the word Philadelphia from it. Uh, and it means a brotherly love, sort of a love. It's like if you go to Philadelphia, it's like a bunch of people are going, hey bro, what up? And you know, we, we love you. And it's that kind of that friendship, that friendship sort of love that is, uh, uh, that you have with a certain group of buddies, right? Uh, that's a different kind of love. It's, uh, there's another love called eros, which is E-R-O-S, and it, it has this term in there, erotic, right? It's a different kind of love. It's a sexualized love. It's a love that uh, we derive pleasure from. It's a love that is sensualized or sexualized. It's the kind of love that, um, that, you, would, uh, that you would have uh, with temptation or you know, that sort of a thing, right? And so it's different. Uh, there's another kind of love, actually. It's this word, uh, storhe, or, uh, and it means like a family sort of love because you probably know this, right? You, you, love, you love your family in a different sort of way. There's a very special love that, that describes a family love, a father to a son, a, uh, a wife to a husband, a uh, you know, brother, sister, uh, uh, child to parent, that sort of a thing. And, and the Bible has all these different descriptions for love. Well, there's another love uh, that the Bible uses. It's this word agape. It's a whole different sort of love. Agape love carries this tone that it's like a God-centered love. It's a, it's a different sort of love. It's, it's a love that is from the, from the one who gives love toward the one who is receiving love and that there's this compassion-drivenness to it, that there is this idea that says, I have something that I could give to you. I have something that I want you to have. I have something that I want you to experience. Agape love is sort of this love that is unconditional. It's this kind of love that says, I'm committed to you. As a matter of fact, um, the, the Bible uses this love when it describes God's sort of love, when it says, God is love. God is love. And when it was originally written, it wasn't intended to be uh, something for the interpreter to figure out what does that word love mean. It carried this idea that says 
God is love. His nature is reflected in his love. His commitment to you is reflected in his love. Uh, that he loves you unconditionally, that, that he has compassion on you. When he sees the brokenness of this world, uh, he responds to it. It's a kind of love that is moved to, to action. Uh, this idea that uh, John 3.16, for example, says, For God so loved the world. And you think about how big that is. For God so loved, is, is it like love like you love chocolate? Is it love like you love your puppy? Uh, no, it is bigger than that. It is the kind of love that says, it stirred me to action. When God looked at you and he looked at me, it stirred him to action because he saw our condition. He saw the condition of our soul and he wanted to do something about it. And so he gave, he gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So we started to talk about this idea that unless we have love, we are nothing. We are nothing without it. You can say everything, you can know everything, uh, you can do everything, but unless it is driven by love, it means nothing. Well, that word love is the same word. It's agape. It's the word that it says that when you receive God's sort of love, it stirs you to action. It's, it moves you somewhere. So we're going to talk about this a little bit because one of the things that you're going to see in this little passage of scripture as we move through 1 Corinthians 13 is that, that love is some things. Love isn't other things. Love does some things and love does not do other things. This idea of love, it is a love that is full of action. So let me read this to you. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and it starts in verse 4. Now you have probably heard this somewhere before, maybe at a wedding or a funeral, uh, but let it hit you again because this describes how love is action. Love is, is like a verb. It, it moves. It has movement to it. Uh, love is certain things. Love is not other things. Love does certain things and love does not do other things. So listen carefully how it describes love. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it, is, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. And listen to this one, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And listen to this, Love never fails. So love is certain things. Love is not other things. Love does certain things and love does not do other things. And this is what we need to talk about today. How many of you guys remember growing up with the peanut cartoons? Anybody? Peanut cartoons, love those things, right? I remember one of them had uh, Lucy. You all remember Lucy? She was the one who was always beating down Charlie Brown. It's a tragedy, right? I mean, always beating this guy into the ground, and she always had that mean look on her face. It was like she was mad at the world all the time. And, and so there was one of these cartoons that uh, she's standing there with her arms folded, and she just has that stern look and that angry look. And, and uh, Charlie Brown uh, says from behind her, he, he says, Lucy, Lucy, you have to be more loving, 
The world needs more love. And then he says, and if we're going to change the world, and if the world's going to be different, then you, Lucy, have to learn how to love. And with that, crazy Lucy, she spins around. Remember how they used to say, she spins around like this whirlwind kind of a thing. And of course, she knocks Charlie Brown over, and Charlie, you know, is on the ground. And, and she screams at him, and she goes, listen, blockhead. She goes, listen, blockhead, remember that? She goes, listen, blockhead, I love the world. It's just people that I can't stand, right? And so we've been talking about this idea that love is everything God, that love is at the heart of this thing called the Christian faith, that love is what drove the father to look at a broken world and to send his son into a broken world. And it is love that took Jesus to the cross. It's love that held him on the cross and it was love that raised him from the grave. It was love that was at the heart of everything. And we began to say that without love, we are, what is it? Nothing. Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we accomplish nothing. Without love in our hearts driving everything that we do, we end up with little to nothing in this world. And God says that this love ought to permeate who we are and ought to drive everything that we become. And so we started to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Paul, this, uh, the, the apostle, Paul, the missionary, Paul, the church planter, Paul, the one who used to kill Christians was the one that God chose to use to write this passage about what love really looks like in our world. And so Paul had this massive transformation going on in his own heart, and he begins to write for you and me under the inspiration of God's hand what love looks like. And so Paul begins to make this argument that love is an action, not just an emotion. The kind of love that Paul begins to talk about is seen and experience, and it's demonstrated. It's not just felt. Listen, I get it, and, and I think you get it, that, that we know that love is feeling as well. That you have to feel love. You can experience love. In fact, we talked about last week that, that, that this whole idea of love is an internal condition. It's a, it starts inside of you. It, it's a very personal, personal thing. And, and listen, we also begin to talk about that you could do all kinds of great things. And you can do all kinds of great deeds and great actions. But if it's not driven by love, it is absolutely nothing. So of course there is a feeling behind this. There is this internalness behind this. But Paul begins to say that love is more than feelings. Love is driven to something. That love is a movement. That love is action. Love is a verb. It's not stationary. But that love is received and then it's given back out. Love is felt and then it's given to somebody else. And instead of Paul giving us some sort of technical or philosophical definition of love, in this chapter, he begins to paint for us a picture of what love actually looks like. He, he, he provides this description of, of love and, and what it does and what it doesn't do and what it is and what it isn't. And so let me just start again by reading what you just heard read. Let me just read this little section of scripture to you one more time and let it settle into your soul a little bit. Here's what he says. He says, love is patient. He says, love is kind. 
It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. You try that one. How you doing? Come on, right? It keeps no records of wrongs. This kind of God love is different. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Love never fails. So do you see it in there? That love is certain things. And love is not other things. Love does certain things and it does not do other things. Y'all see that right in there? And he begins with this little statement of what love is. He gives us just two words that describe it. Just two simple, he says, you want to know what love looks like? Here it is. Love is, and then he gives us a singular word, a, 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 a character trait. When he, he says, when you see this person in action doing this kind of a thing, you have seen love. And he says, love is, what is it? Patient. Love is patient. When you see somebody being patient, you see somebody who is in the act of loving. When you see somebody being patient, you see love in action form that has moved beyond feelings. Does that make sense? that it's been driven somewhere else, that it's moved to the next level. And so before we get into this, uh, this idea of love is patient. Love is patient. Let me just ask, how are you doing on that? Well, Pastor Jay, actually I'm doing pretty good on that one. If you only knew how much I wanted to yell at people, if you only knew how much they irritated me, if you knew how angry I was on the inside and I didn't say a thing, you would think I was a saint because of this very thing. I got love is patient all the way down. Your kids do not believe that. Your wife does not believe that. Uh, matter of fact, the people at your work, they actually know how you're doing with this, right? But he says to you and to me, love is patient. Now, uh, it's very old fashioned, but the old fashioned way of saying this in the King James, now we don't use the King James Bible much around here because the language is so changed and all that kind of a thing. But here's how it used to say it. This was uh, translated back in the 1600s. Now listen to how it used to say it back in the olden days, right? It says, charity or love, charity, love, suffereth long, suffereth long. Uh, in other words, it's another way of saying it is love suffers long. And I want you to think about this. Love is long-suffering. Love suffers long. Love, he's saying, has, has a long fuse to it. He, he's saying love endures a whole bunch. Love doesn't pull out easy. Love does not back away easy. Love sticks with it even when there's pain, even when there's struggle. I'm not saying you always should stick through pain and always should stick through struggle, but he says the love that drives somebody to the God sort of a love has a patience about them that suffers long. And this idea of long suffering has a quality of personal restraint in the face of provocation, doesn't it? It's, it's the opposite of anger, where, where anger is just prone to retaliation. Anger is the short fuse. The patient kind of love that God describes is the long fuse. How you doing? How you doing? Right? Because he says that, that this idea of patience is associated with mercy. It, it, it's, matter of fact, over and over in the Bible, when you see the word patient, you see the word mercy put right next to it all the time. You see these two ideas that are intertwined together because the, the kind of love 
that, that God produces in us is a patient and merciful sort of love that suffers long, that, that looks at, at people who are hurting us and we say, we get it because we've been hurt and we've done our hurting and we now love you in a way that God loves you. It's different, right? As a matter of fact, here's how, how God treats us in this. Now, I want you to think about this. It's associated, the reason we are called to love patiently is because, listen, 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 God loves us patiently. Now, some of y'all are going, that's no big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Because if you're like me at all, you know the sin in your own heart. And you know where you've lost it. And you know where you have really screwed up in life. And God looks and he goes, I'm just going to knock you down like a fly. No, he doesn't. He looks at you and he looks at me and he suffers long. He endures much from his children that are often wayward. Here's how the scripture paints it. It says this in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse six. It says, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's a gracious God. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love and, and faithfulness. That is a picture of God's what? Patience with you and me. This is how God behaves toward us. And I'm thankful for this patience toward me. And my guess is some of you in this room have matured to a point in your life where you are patient or you are thankful for God's patience with you. Amen? Anybody in the room? Y'all hear me on that? Um, Patience is this quality of not surrendering under uh, difficult circumstances, right? It's different than just being patient with somebody. It's being patient in some things. It's the ability to suffer through difficult things. You look at any, uh, anybody who's achieved anything great in life, my guess is, my guess is they had to work hard through some very difficult trials in life. Have you ever seen that? I mean, they don't just get up one day and go, woo, life is perfect and easy for me. You look at anybody who's achieved anything, they've got this part down. They've learned to be patient, long-suffering through all sorts of hard, difficult trials of life. This is the kind of God patience that, that can endure evil and provocation in our life without being filled with resentment and indignation and revenge. It's a resolve of mind that, that gives power over anger. It's the resolve of mind. It's deciding to be patient that gives power over despair like life is never going to get better. I'm telling you, if you don't learn to get this patient, you will fall into depression. You will fall into despair if you don't believe that there is hope around the corner. And mercy and hope are associated with this idea of God's patience toward us. And this is exactly what God does toward us. Listen to this, listen to this. Look at these verses very quick. I'm just gonna throw a couple out because I wanna go deep into this. I want us to know when you leave this place today, I want us to understand what love is, how you act loving. And look at what it says to God, in God's word, how God treats us. Listen, Romans chapter two, verse four. You don't have to turn it, I'll just read it for you, put it up on the screens. It says, do you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant, and what is this word? Patient, God is with you. Um, does this mean nothing to you? He's like, hello, McFly, right? He's like, don't you get how good God has been to you? This should mean something to you. This should drive your soul somewhere, right? He says, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sins? 
Um, then look at this next one. Uh, it says this in the book of Romans chapter 9. He says, in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power over you, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls and, and are destined for destruction. And to that, some of us say, "Woo, good thing. Because my guess is some of us in this room will admit that we have really screwed some things up. And that we have done wrong in this world. Things that we regret. Things that we wish we could do over. And God sees that and he doesn't just go, oh, how cute, you really screwed it up. (laughs) Wow, I think I'll just kind of not notice. No, 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 no. God notices. God notices. And he chooses to be patient with us. Hoping to drive our hearts back to him. This is the nature of, of God, right? That there's this God-centered, love-driven patience, right? Um, and it comes from the very idea of the nature of God, the character of God. Listen to this one, one more. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. This is incredible. It says, "The Lord isn't really being slow about His promises, as some people think that God is." You know, so some people out there go, "Man, I wish God would do something with me. I wish God would do this for me. I don't know what God's taking His time for. God is so slow." And then listen, He says, "No, no, 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 no." God is patient with you for your sake. Because God knows what's best for you and for me. And sometimes it's not what I think is best. But God says, I know what's best. And I'm waiting for you, Jeremy, to get on my page. I wish God would get on my page, but it just doesn't work that way. I don't get it. I get it. He knows what's best. Right? Y'all hear me on this? He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to come to repent, to turn from where we're heading, to turn toward him. Uh, and, And Paul comes along and says it. This is how God wants you and me to be. He says, love suffers long, long suffering. He says, love is patient. Love holds out hope that people can change. Love holds out hope that situations can become different. Anybody ever been there? where you just felt there was no way that this situation was gonna turn. Anybody ever feel like that? Come on. Anybody been at the bottom? Come on. And there was something that was struck in your soul. So if I'm just a little bit more patient with this. (laughs) And then you start to see the dawn rising and you start to see a new day coming. Anybody? (laughs) And you realize if you would've gave up, you wouldn't have seen the glory of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God in your life. And some people were just a day away from that. Some people were like, you were like going, I'm going to end it all right here, right now. But you waited, you were patient. And that's a godly character developing in you. And God says, or Paul says to us, that people who are affected by the love of God respond in the same way, with the same kind of love. He says that you're patient. God is patient, so you're patient. Let me tell you a story. This comes from the pages of the Old Testament part of the Bible. I'm not going to quote chapter and verse for for you on this. I'm just going to tell you a bit of a story because I want you to see a a big picture of how a, a follower of God responds to God's love. Now, many of you guys know one of the most famous characters in the Bible is a man named David. He was king over Israel. Y'all heard of this guy, right? King David, right? Um, Now, what's interesting about King David was uh, King David had some massive ups and massive downs in his life. Uh, He was a guy uh, early on who absolutely loved his family. I mean, he was passionate about his family. 
but he ended up destroying his family. Early on in his life, um, he was very passionate about his relationship to God. And yet, later in his life, he virtually destroyed his relationship with God. And it wasn't until almost the end did he ever come full circle and make some things right in his life. But if you were to look at David's, David's life, before he was king, he was this shepherd boy, right? He was just this peasant farmer kind of a guy. And God called him, literally chose him to be king. This is an amazing story. And when you look at David's life, you go, man, this kid was like the golden kid. Everything he touched turned to gold. Don't you hate people like that? They're like, they're just like successful at everything they ever do. Well, David was that guy. He was successful at everything because God chose him and God was taking him somewhere. And it was an amazing story. Well, David becomes friends with the son of the king of Israel, a guy named Saul. His friend was named Jonathan. So Saul's son was named Jonathan. He literally becomes best friends with Jonathan. He ends up marrying Saul's daughter becomes his wife. And so things are like, woo, up and to the right. If you were to track through his story of his life, you would see that David eventually becomes like second in charge of the kingdom. I mean, he had a meteor, uh, meteoratic uh, rise to fame, right? It was just incredible, his, the blessing that God was giving this man, right? But then something happened. In Saul. So Saul was trusting David. Saul was friends with David. Saul saw David as a great ally. And and Saul had all this confidence in David, right? Until one day, he heard that Saul was coming, or excuse me, David was coming back from war. And, and the people in the streets of Jerusalem had gathered and they're all cheering and, go, and Saul goes out to figure out what all the cheering's about. And he realizes it's because David is marching back into town with the army. He was leading the army and he's listening and all of a sudden he starts to hear the people singing this song that talked about how Saul, King Saul, had slayed or conquered his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was the victor over thousands, but David was the victor over tens of thousands. And something triggered in Saul's heart. Something happened, something broke in Saul's heart. And the scripture describes that he became jealous and envious and bitter and all these things. And his life just started to come unraveled. And one day, Saul literally decides to kill David. He decides that he's a threat to my kingdom, he's a threat to me, and I'm going to end his life. And this was in a day when the king had absolute power over life and death. And so David hears about this, that that Saul is going to kill him. And so he begins to run from Saul. And and if you were to go back through the pages of scripture, it's incredible. He literally spends years of his life running from, from, from the king. And he doesn't understand why, because his best friend is the king's son. His wife is the king's daughter. And, and, And listen, and listen, he had proven his loyalty. He would even write letters to the king and he would come and try to speak to the king and say, you got me all wrong. I'm not disloyal to you. I'm loyal to you. I literally risked my life for you. I will do anything for you. You are my king, and I love your son, and I love your daughter. We're on the same team. Hey, we're practically family. I married in, right? 
and Saul would have nothing to do with it. And we learned that, that Saul sent out this band, this army that, to go find and to track down David. And David ended up going from cave to cave, from wilderness to wilderness, spent time in the desert, on the run. He couldn't see his family for incredible lengths of time. And he literally lived on the run, always one step ahead of the king's army. Now, it's an interesting thing that happens, though. Now, you would think that somebody who was on the run because some nut job is trying to kill you, when you have the opportunity, you're going to end him. You're going to settle the score when you have the opportunity. Wouldn't you think so? I mean, this is years and years going on, and this king wants me dead. He's said everybody, or he's told everybody, he's made the rule, you, ki- you see David, you kill him. Well, one time, very interesting, the scripture records that David was out in the wilderness, and he hears that Saul himself had joined the hunt for him. Saul himself was going to run him through with the sword. And so David goes, check this out. And in the middle of the night, David was a warrior. David was this beast of a man, a lot like me, you know. And, um, And so it says that David, during the night, sneaks up where Saul is sleeping. And he cuts part of Saul's cloak off. And he takes it as evidence to say to Saul later, listen. I could have killed you. I could have killed you. And then he says this phrase, I suffered long for you. I've gone through so much because of you and I could have ended it, but I didn't. And let me tell you something, friends. This idea for Christian people, and I don't know if you're a Christian in this room or not, it is a command of God to figure out how to suffer long in our life. Not to write people off. And it is very difficult. There are times, I'm not saying if you're in an abusive situation or something like that, that there are times to get out of Dodge. I get all that. But the concept of scripture, this idea that we are supposed to figure out how to be patient in our situations and with people in our life. As a matter of fact, it says this in the book of Ephesians. It says, always be humble and gentle and be what? Be what? Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. And so for Christians in this room, if you claim the name of Christ, we need to have thick skin. Come on. One of the problems in the Christian church is everybody's offended by everybody. And it's got to stop. It's just true. We got to have thick skin because listen, everybody's not like you. And everybody's not like me. And we somehow got to learn if we're going to be one family, if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to figure out how to impact the world around us, we have got to figure out how to suffer long with each other, right? We got to figure out how to endure one another because listen, I think you're weird and you probably think I'm weird at times. That's okay. We need to learn to love long, suffer long. Um, This is a true story. This blew my mind one time a couple years back. A couple makes an appointment with me. They'd been in our church for a long time. And, and we're a little bit bigger church. And, you know, if you come on the Sunday's deal, it's crazy packed in here, you know. And, and there's so many people and all this. And this couple comes into my office. True story. They say, Pastor, we think you're a great preacher. We think you're a good leader. We think this is a great church. But we're leaving the church. I'm like, 
Something doesn't add up here. I don't get it. What, what, what did we do wrong? And they said, but you're just not friendly. And I'm like, friendly? Tell that to my kids. They're saying, it's like midnight, Dad. You talk to everybody. Stop. Go home. You know, kind of a deal, right? And I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? And this is what they said. True story. They said, there have been times that you were walking up to preach. Did you hear that? Walking up to preach. And we've seen you shake somebody else's hand, but not walk over to us and shake our hand. And I'm like, but I was going up to preach, right? Like the video was ending and it was my time to get, yes, but you could have taken time to say hi. Do you not realize there's 2,500 people here on a weekend? How could I possibly stop and thank everybody and shake their hand when I'm walking up to preach? Does that make sense to anybody in the room? Now listen, listen, listen. Somehow, in some way, we've got to grow some thicker skin because guess what? I don't mean to, I don't want to, but I may offend you at times. <laughs> Some of y'all going, yeah, you have, three times today already. <laughs> and guess what? You may offend you, and you may offend her over here, and you may offend me. We gotta work at keeping sin out of our life, and one of the great sins in the Christian church is being offended by everybody. Come on, you hear me? So Paul says, love is patient. Love is patient. And then he says this, he says, love is, what's the next one? Kind. So love is a couple things. He says there's two words that root love. This is what it is. It is patient and it is, it is kind. The idea of patience seems to be this, the, the pa passive side of love, where kindness seems to be the active side of it, right? Kindness is about goodness. It's about being good and doing good. It's about having an active interest in the good of somebody else. So, so let me ask you a quick question. Has anybody in the room ever been just randomly blown away by somebody's act of kindness? Anybody? Like you just like weren't expecting it, it wasn't owed to you, you didn't deserve it, this person, you didn't have any leverage on this person, but did anybody ever receive just an act of kindness from somebody else that you go, why, why did you do this to me? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, let me tell you, this is, uh, this is strange. Lynette and I, I've never ever spoken publicly about this. Um, Lynette and I, a few years back, we were involved with a pretty major lawsuit. Um, it was over some of the properties that we, we own, right? And um, this person uh, had filed a lawsuit and made some claims that were so outlandish and so crazy, it was laughable. So we had to spend all kinds of money and time and effort going to court and all this kind of stuff. Eventually, uh, we won our case and the whole deal was dropped. And we were being sued for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a lawsuit, but it is stressful. And when you're looking at losing everything that you've ever worked for in life, it's big. It's, it's overwhelming. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? It's overwhelming. And so we, we got done with this case and we won. We were totally vindicated. The whole deal was dropped and we're so excited. We're like, woo, that's done. Well, this nut, he, I'm not, I gotta be careful. Can't use too descriptive. This nut. Okay, uh, he, uh, he files again with another lawyer in a different form of court and just comes at us again with this another humongous lawsuit. And you know, the money and everything's adding up and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, we are spending years of this stress. I mean, it was, we got phone calls literally saying, you are gonna end up in jail. You have this, you know, you've done these things and we're gonna take everything you and your wife have and your wife's gonna end up with nothing. These are lawyers talking to me, right? And I'm like going, I have no idea what you are talking about. I already won once. Why are you coming after me again? And so they did this whole deal and this was dragging on, dragging on. 
And eventually we get to this point where um, we just offer the guy a, a bunch of money just to go away. And, and it was a fractional of what was the soup was over, but it was a, a ton of money, right? And so eventually we pay this person off and we don't see this person again. And we're like, whew, okay. Now here's where it gets crazy. And I can't explain this. It makes no sense to me at all. But this is the kindness of God. This is the kindness of God through one of his followers. Um, this person, um, we started receiving anonymous checks in the mail, personally. And the check said, this isn't for the church. This is made out to you. This is for you and your family. And I'm like, who are you? I don't, didn't have any name. There's no indication who this person was from in any way, shape, or form. And we're like going, that's weird. That's weird. But we're not talking a little bit of money. We're talking some pretty sizable checks here. And I'm like, that is strange. Do you know this person? Have you heard anything about this? And I'd call all my friends like, hey, are you uh, doing anything fishy? You know, kind of. And they're like, what are you talking about? I wouldn't give you two cents, Jeremy. I'm telling you that right now, you know. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. These checks kept coming for about three years. And they totaled more than we gave that fella who was a crook and took from my family. And so I was able to sit my kids down. I, I gathered them together and I said, let me tell you something about how good God is. And my kids were so angry that, that we had this large sum of money taken from our family when we did nothing wrong. Nothing. Based on lies. Total fabrication. Like if you would have heard what was said about me and Lynette, you would have gone, there's no way on God's earth that that could have ever happened. And I got to tell my kids, God has made up for every penny of it through the kindness of one of his followers who we don't even know. And still to this day, we don't even know. So if you're in this room, thank you. Your kindness has showed my kids and me and Lynette a picture of God's goodness and grace over us. Amen? Love is kind. Let me tell you something. It reflects the kindness of God. Um, it says it this way. Jesus says it this way. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting like children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked. He says, your kindness is rooted in the kindness of God. Who you become in this world is rooted in the nature of God. God is kind. So he says you should look out for the good of others when they don't even deserve it from you. And then it says this, Ephesians 2, listen to this. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of grace and kindness toward us as shown, uh, as shown in all he has done for us um, who are united with him in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, you're going to be an example of how good God is. Now you go be an example of how good he was to you. He was good to you. Now you go be that example. And listen to this, Ephesians 4, he goes on and says it like this. He says, instead, instead of what? Instead of being jerks to each other. He says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God forgave you through Christ or as Christ has forgiven you. Can you, can you see what he's doing? 
He was saying, your response to God is because of who God is. The way that you act in the world is based on his nature, not what you and I want to do, because let's be honest, there's a whole bunch of people in this world that we would like to, right? He says, no, God doesn't to you. So he says to you and to me, we got to figure this out. We used to do this song around here. It, was, uh, it went, your loving kindness, Lord, leads me to repentance. I don't know if you all remember that. It was a long time ago. And we sing about the kindness of God. It's a weird thing. In this church, people react to God in different ways. Uh, I got to tell you something. I got to be honest with you. Like, you don't think that I see what's going on. But if you sit close enough and the lights are just right, I see what's going on. It's a weird thing that happens in this church. Because sometimes, sometimes it's like, we're just walking in and like the band first starts and all of a sudden, I can't even explain it, but people are crying everywhere. It's a weird thing. And, and, and listen, I'm gonna tell you, we were just talking about this in my life group just this last week that, that, uh, that, that people respond to God in weird ways. Like some of us get all excited and then others of us are quiet and, and it's a weird thing. But in our church here, I see it. Don't, don't tell me it's not true because I see it. Uh, I see a bunch of grown men tough men, week in and week out, when, when, when God is met by people, when the kindness and the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God is met by, whole, by, by people, even grown man, a tough man, begins to tear up. I see it like, hey, honey, I got something in my eye here. Hold on. Hold on, honey. I'm sorry. Uh, do you got a little something? Something in that eye right there? Right on. Yeah. Oh, you're not fooling me. It is the kindness of God that moves your soul. It's the mercy of God that can break a grown man. And he says that God has been kind to you. So you, go reflect that to the world around you. Check this out. So love is patient and love is kind. It, it, it comes from the nature of God. It is rooted in the nature of who God is and who Christ was. It, it's his example that he left us. So let me read this passage again to you. We talked about love is and love is not and uh, love does and love does not. We're gonna be talking about this over the next several weeks, but, but let me read it with a different flavor to it. Why don't we substitute the name Jesus for love here? And listen to how this reads. It says this, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy, Jesus does not boast, Jesus is not proud, Jesus dis does not dishonor others, Jesus is not self-seeking, Jesus is not easily angered, Jesus keeps no records of wrong, Jesus does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth, Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, Jesus always perseveres. Listen, Jesus never fails. The scripture says that God is love. And Jesus, when he came, he embodied love. He, he was God made flesh. He showed us what love is perfectly. And, and when I think about this, I think about how would I measure up to this standard? Even just the two that we talked about today. Jeremy is patient. Jeremy is kind. Now, some of you guys who don't know me that well, you would say, yeah, I think that's true. I think that really is true about him. But my guess is, 
if you knew me well, uh, you would probably not rate it so high. Um, and if I was to be honest and self-reflective, I would say, you know, maybe I'm hitting 75, 85% on the uh, kindness part, but probably a little lower on the patience part, right? Uh, it's tough to live love out. It is tough to make love a reality. So I don't know if you are a follower of Jesus, but if you are, you are supposed to reflect Jesus. And Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. Jesus is these things. What about you? What if you were to put your name in there? James is patient. James is kind. Uh, Rhonda is patient. Rhonda is kind. How would you measure? Put your name in there right now. Read these words. Put your name in there. How do you measure up? Are you reflecting Christ to the world? Do you reflect his love? Do you reflect his nature and who he is? Because that is what love from God does in us. It, it, it drives us to action. It drives us to become these things. Let's pray together. God, we come before you with humble hearts. Um, asking you to do more inside of us. God, none of this is meant to beat us down. It's meant to challenge us and equip us and motivate us for more. And so God, there might be some in this very room who uh, they're not sure what to even do with this because maybe they haven't experienced your love personally. And so God, I pray in this room right now, um, if there are some individuals here who have not experienced you, God, would somehow, in some way, would you speak into their lives? Would you show them that you are not far from them? God, that they matter to you, that you're reaching into their world. Help them to respond to your love. And God, for those of us in this room who maybe we're a little bit further along in our relationship with you, um, God, we probably haven't done too well in much of this. Help us to become what you want us to become. Help us, God. Help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.